0: Matthew 25, if you have it, say amen. Amen. Beginning in verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and for you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with them to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. See, he was just a groom, but now when they're in trouble, he's Lord. If they would just been Lord at the beginning, might not have been in any trouble. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. No coincidence, they sang a couple of songs about the second coming of Christ. And no coincidence at all that God has laid all this message on my heart tonight. And, and I, I struggle because, we, you know, we all want to have something in our heart that we, we would like to preach. But God said, no, this is, this is what we need to share tonight. I've been studying on the parables uh, of Christ and, and have shared a message or two from it, and this is one of those. And Christ, uh, when he was dealing with his disciples, uh, I, I just, sometimes I just try to imagine how frustrated he would have been uh, because of their lack of comprehension. He, they would ask questions, and he would tell them the answer, and it, you could tell it just wasn't going through. It just wasn't, you know, it's like talking to your teenagers. <laughs> if you have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you talk to them, it's like you're talking to a wall. They just don't understand. And so the, uh, and in, in fact, this lack of comprehension got in the way of their service to the kingdom. And, and not only their, their lack of comprehension, but their lack of, of, of belief. I really feel that there were times when they simply did not believe Jesus was who he said he was. And that got in the way of their service to him. These two chapters, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, are actually a very long answer to a short question. That short question is actually found in Matthew 24, verse 3. Let me read it to you. The disciples asking him, privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming, and the end of the world? And I guess if I if I struggle with studying the Word of God, this may be one of those times because, you know, I, I I'm kind of a black and white kind of guy. I, I just want the answer. And Jesus takes two chapters to explain this short question: "When are you coming back?" He takes two chapters. So obviously, Jeff, that means to us and to, I'm not pointing you out, but specifically, but, but there's obviously something more that he's trying to teach us because everything in the word of God is there for a specific reason, is it not? And so he he could have left all of Matthew 24 and 25 out, but they didn't. They included it there. But he actually did give us the answer in in Matthew 24 when he said in verse 36, But at that day and the hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And you'll find at the, end of our, at the end of our text verse, he says, watch ye therefore, for ye know neither today nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Couldn't he just have said that in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4? But he didn't. He took two chapters to explain this answer. I ain't telling you. Now, I don't mean to mess with anybody's theology tonight, so please do not get me wrong. But Jesus specifically said, here's the answer. No one knows. The angels in heaven don't even know. That means I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming back, but I will tell you how to live until I do come back. And the message is simple. Stay ready. Stay ready. Stay ready. That's the message. So he's trying to educate us. He's trying to teach us something in these these, uh, verses that I read to you. And, And this text that I read to you, even though it is a parable, and even though he is talking about the kingdom of heaven, this would have actually happened in Bible times. This is actually the third phase of a Jewish marriage ceremony. The first two phases have already happened. There's been an engagement and young people. Uh, and I hope you better be thanking God that marriage in America is not like marriage in Bible times because the parents picked the spouse out without you even knowing it. Maybe we actually should go back to that. So they would pick it and they would get engaged and the engagement was as binding as the marriage. Boy, don't you wish you'd go back to that. And then the bridegroom would go away. He would prepare a place, and then at an hour when they did not know, but they knew he was coming, he would come back, he would meet the bride, and they would have the third part, which is where we're at today. They would have this week-long marriage feast. They would have a party as they would celebrate this marriage. So three things we understand from reading these scriptures before we get into the the heart of the message. Number one is that the bridegroom is coming. This is where theology can maybe, and I'm not going to debate anybody after service, so please don't even try to debate me. I'm not going to. But can we all agree Jesus is coming? Amen. <laughs> he's coming back. Amen. He's coming back. Not only, number one, is he coming back, but secondly, we don't know when he's coming back. And there's a reason why he specifically did not give a date or a time. Because if he did, then that means everybody would live the way they would want to live until 1159. So we know he's coming. We don't know when he is coming. And third, there's a chance he could come in the dark. Now you say, Brian, why would you say that? Because they had lamps. So that tells us, probably more than likely, even though we don't know the date nor the hour, Jesus is coming back in darkness. I'm not talking about physical darkness. I'm talking about spiritual darkness. Two things you watch, and I'm not a a theologian of the second coming. Pastor Calvin Ray, as he studied that for years. But but he's taught me this. Two things you watch. You watch the nation of Israel and you watch the church. We know the seasons, and if it's ever been spiritually more, if it's been more spiritually dark in the history of our world, I don't know when that was or when that has been. We are in a spiritually dark condition, but you know what that means? The bridegroom's coming. He's coming. He's closer today than he was yesterday. Let me tell you some things about these. Wise and foolish virgins that we can apply to us. Number one, I want you to notice the preparation. The preparation. They were commanded that they, it was implied in this passage of scripture that they needed to prepare for the bridegroom coming. Preparation is simply this. Using your now to get ready for your next. Using now to get ready for your next. You wonder why a lot of people in churches struggle today. It's because they don't have a next. You say, what's the next? That means you don't have a hope. That means you don't have goals. That means you're not preparing for your future. You say, Brian, why should I prepare if Jesus Christ could come today? Because he tells us we need to prepare. The the, the doctrine of preparation should be preached and taught in our churches. My friend, tonight, if we ever lack anything in the house of God today, it's the lack of preparation. 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 People don't get prepared to come to the house of God. They don't get prepared to worship. You gotta pump them. You gotta prime them. You gotta sing, you gotta sing the courses. You gotta sing the hymns and you gotta get them ready. And hopefully by the end of the service, hopefully by the time the preacher gets up, they're ready to go to church. But my friend, if we would realize church doesn't begin when you get in the house of God, church begins in your heart when you prepare your heart for worship. You know how? Our dear friends, the McCoy family have been able to make it through this last few weeks. It's because they have an next. They have a hope. They have a future to look to. Their hope is in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. And they're going to be reunited with their family that so tragically passed away. You know how Hoy has been able to make it. You know how their family has been able to make it. You know how Susie has been able to make it because they prepared a long time ago. And they have a hope that things are going to get better. My friend, if you don't have a next, if you don't have a hope, you will die in your spiritual condition. you got to prepare. you got to prepare. If you want people to stay out of your business, pray that they have a next. (laughs) Because if they have a next, they ain't got time to mess with you. (laughs) uh, I I realize tonight is an important game for some of you all. I hate dogs, and I don't even know what a horned frog is, so I really don't care. But you're going to find out at the end of tonight, possibly tomorrow morning, Who was prepared? Some of you maybe have children that are involved in sports, and there's nothing worse than seeing a team that get and possibly your team when they get on a court or a field and they're not prepared. It you can tell right away if a team or a person is prepared or not. (laughs) Preacher, I don't care how good you think you are; you need to be prepared. One thing I learned when I started preaching in 1994, I was taught, I was raised in a preacher's home and Pastor Cow has taught me and his dad taught me this. Never leave the house without being prepared. Always have something in your back pocket. Never get to the house of God without a sermon. Young ministers and young preachers, if I have any advice to give to you, I may not be able the one to give it. But if I have any advice to give you, some of you say, well, I'm not getting a lot of calls. I'm not getting a lot of appointments to go out and preach. Well, are you prepared? Don't wait until you get a call from a church and then get a message. Get a message ready. Have it ready. God knows if you're ready. And if you're prepared, the appointments will come. Somebody say, man, I'm busy preaching. Singers, I don't care how good you think you are, and you may be better than some of the greatest southern gospel artists that travel this nation. You still got to prepare. Sunday school teachers, I don't care if you can quote Genesis and Revelation. You still need to be prepared. Somebody help me preach this is good preaching. You need to be prepared. You say, why do you need to be prepared? Because if you prepare yourself, if, if you're yourself, if you're, if you're studying the word of God, then my friend, when you get up and when you do what God has told you to do, you will do it without even thinking about it because you're prepared. One of the greatest basketball players that ever lived, was named as Pistol Pete Maravich. And if you ever watch a documentary of his life, you'll understand that when he was 12 years old, he would take a basketball with him. He would would, uh, have it in the bed with him. He would dribble, he would shoot in the bed. He would dribble everywhere he would go. He was one of the greatest basketball players to ever live. They said it was almost like the basketball was part of his hand. You know why? Because he did it so much. He was prepared so much that when he got on the court, he wasn't even thinking about it because he was used to doing. It was a part of his life. What I'm trying to tell you is when we get into the house of God, if you're prepared, you won't even have to think about it. Why? Because you you have it in your memory, you have it in your mind, you have it in your spirit. When you come prepared, my friend, I'm telling you, can you imagine if we come into the house of God and everyone is prepared for worship? You would see a major turnaround in your church. If you're prepared. We have a young man in our church that he's quite the distance runner, but when he started out, he was in junior high, he would, he would struggle, but he kept running and he kept preparing. Now he's a junior in high school. He's gonna be one of the top runners in our state and definitely in our school. But you know why? Because in 2022, he ran from Portsmouth to Tampa, Florida. He ran, over a, he ran 1,005 miles in 2022. So 3.15 miles is nothing to him. A mile around a track ain't nothing to him. Why? Because he's ran over 1,000. What I'm trying to tell you is, folks, if we just learn to prepare, oh my, if we learn, if you want to give your preacher a heart attack, why don't you come to church prepared? Amen. These women, they needed to be prepared. Five of them were, five of them weren't. That brings us to our next point. The expectation. Verse 3 says, They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Notice it says they took no oil with them. What does this mean to us? They knew he was coming, but they expected him to come when they thought he was going to come. They expected the bridegroom to show up on their schedule. Folks, we are in dangerous territory when we put God on our schedule. God will do what he wants to do when he wants to do it in his way, in his time, for his glory. And we would be so much better off and we would have much better sleep at night when we would just simply give our schedule to him, when we would give our healing to him, when we would give our miracle to him and say, Lord, I don't know it all, but you know it all. You are all powerful. You are. You know what I need and you know what I don't need. Lord, if it be your will, do this for me, but do it in your way, in your time. Folks, I'm telling you, you'd be better off if you don't put God in a box. Don't put him on a schedule because my friend, he will come, but He won't. he won't come when you think he's going to. It's dangerous when everybody, anybody, would put a time frame on God doing something for you. I know I'm in I'm in the territory here because I am one, but don't listen to televangelists <laughs> that would tell you that if you do this or that, then in a certain amount of time it's going to come back to you. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. It's filling somebody's pockets and it's definitely not yours. They'll, they'll say, well, if you send me $70, then, then over the next seven weeks, then God will return it sevenfold to you. I got one better for you. How about you tithe to your church? And God's principle is simply this. Will I not open the windows of heaven? And pour you out a blessing which you cannot contain. I believe believe Luke also tells us that he will return it to us, pressed down, shaken together, running over, just mind the word of God. Do what he says and God will bless you. You don't have to give me $20 and then believe God for a promotion on your job. If you want to try, that's fine, but no, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. No, you want a promotion at your job, just show up. Do the work. Be on time. Stay a little bit later. Do the job. And I guarantee the way the lack of employment right now, you'll move up very quickly at your place of employment. Well, you send me this, and then you'll, the check's coming in the mail in the next three weeks, you'll get it. Know the rebate you sent in the mail about a month ago is gonna come back to you. That's where your check's coming from. It's a principle, folks. Listen, don't listen to anybody that puts a time frame on God. Amen. Their expectation. Notice their possession. In verse 8. And the foolish said unto the wise. Give us of your oil. For our lamps have gone out. I preach this incorrectly. And I've said it incorrectly. I've always said that they were foolish. Because they didn't have any oil. That's not what it says. They weren't foolish. Because they didn't have oil. They had oil. They were foolish because they wasted the oil that they had. They let the oil run out. And folks, listen. When you waste the most valuable possession that God has given you, because what does the oil represent? It represents the blessed spirit of God. And when you waste the precious oil that God has given you, My friend, you're in dangerous ground. Don't waste the oil that God has blessed you with. They weren't foolish because they didn't have any oil. They were foolish because they wasted what God had given them. Do you realize how valuable the Holy Spirit is? How sweet a possession it is? Do you realize that there are churches around this nation that just yearn and want the presence of God like we're feeling here this evening? Some of you in your, in your congregations, your local congregations, you feel the presence of God in such a special way. There are people that would yearn and, and just, just, they would yearn for something, that special move of God. And listen, there are churches around this nation that are now no longer meeting, that once had that precious possession, that precious oil. But they allowed it to, to dwindle down. They allowed it to be wasted and now it's no longer burning. Now the fire has gone out. Folks, I'm telling you, don't waste the oil that God has given you. Amen. Their possession. Notice next, their obligation. Notice what they said to the wise in verse eight. Give us your oil for our lamps are gone out. The way they talked to them there, that's, that's the, you know, they didn't ask in a kind way. They just simply made a statement. Give us. You're oil. If anybody's going to talk to me that way, I probably got a relationship with him. I probably probably my wife. But anyway, anyway, I'm I'm kidding. Sorry, honey, she's watching. I'm sure. <laughs> but no doubt that these five wise and five foolish, they knew each other. They had a relationship. But even though they had a relationship it did not release the five foolish virgins it did not release their responsibility for keeping their oil filled up just because they had a relationship with those other wise virgins did not mean that the virgins the five wise were responsible or held accountable for the irresponsibility of the foolish what i'm trying to tell you is this and hang on each one of us have a responsibility and it's not anybody else's responsibility but yours to make sure you've got enough oil. Amen. Amen. <laughs> come on. There are people that you'll come in contact with that want to live a, they want to live a negative lifestyle. They want to live in negativity. And what they do is they try to manipulate people's generosity. There's always something wrong with them. They always want to blame somebody else for their, for, for their lack of oil. They want to blame the preacher. They want to blame the pastor. I don't get visit enough. I don't get flowers enough. I don't get cards enough. But yet they have allowed their oil to be wasted over time. You see what the wise did? They said, no, it's not our responsibility to give you oil because we ain't going to have enough for us. You go to town and you get your own oil. So what I'm trying to tell you tonight, listen. Some of you ain't gonna like this, but you'll love me. You have to to go to heaven. <laughs> Why should others be held accountable for your lack of responsibility? Amen. I realize, as pastors, we are obli- and I have a responsibility. I have an obligation. Number one, I have an obligation to my wife. Come on. That God ordained that. That marriage, he ordained that before he ordained the church. So it's my responsibility to make sure that my wife and I have a healthy relationship. May not be after tonight after that comment I just made a little bit ago. But anyway, then secondly, I have two children at home. They are my responsibility. I am obligated to make sure that they are spiritually where they need to be and make sure that God is first place in their life. Then I'm a pastor. I'm an assistant pastor to Calvin Ray Evans. I have a responsibility. I have an obligation as a shepherd of that church. But my responsibility does not mean that I am to take care of your oil. I'm to teach you. I'm to preach to you. But listen, I'm not to baby you. I'm not releasing my... Some of you pastors, you better say amen right now. You, maybe you're scared too. But I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not negating my responsibility to be a pastor. I'll do anything I can, and I have. And we do to make sure our people are taken care of. But listen, there are times... Well, you need to get your own oil. I've got oil for me. I've got oil for my family. I've got oil for my own spiritual well-being. I ain't got enough for Wes. I ain't got enough for Gary. I ain't got enough for Will. I ain't, got, I ain't got enough for Jim and Annette. No, I ain't got enough. I got enough. I barely got enough for me to make sure that I'm burning bright. You go get your own oil. Amen. Amen. And stop blaming the pastor for your irresponsibility. Amen. And here's the shouting point. There's plenty of oil for everybody. Amen. 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 There's plenty of oil. Amen, you say, well, why? It's it's ran out, and I don't know. I don't know if there's, oh, yeah, there's plenty. There's plenty of spirit. There's plenty of oil. There's plenty of honey dripping from the trees tonight. It's your responsibility to go get it. Amen. 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 That's good preaching. I don't care who you are. No, you go get it. That's what they did. They went and got the oil. Notice finally the presentation. When they got the oil, they came back. It didn't say that the bridegroom came at midnight. Don't preach that. because That's not what it says. It says the cry came at midnight. The bridegroom cometh. It was customary that these virgins would go out and meet the bridegroom and welcome them into the marriage feast. And they would have a celebration. But because of the foolish neglected and wasted and used the valuable possession at the wrong time. Now they had to go and get some more oil. But when they came back, notice this. They found the door was shut. And what was the delight for the foolish? Ended up being a deadline. Excuse me. What was a delight for the wise? Ended up being a deadline for the foolish. When they came back. They didn't find an open door. They found a closed door. The presentation is simply this. The bridegroom is coming. We don't know when he's going to return. I believe he's coming when it's spiritually dark. But when he comes back. It's not an opportunity. It's not an open door. It's a closed door. When he comes. When he comes. When he comes again. There will be no more opportunity. The door was open on the cross. But the door will be shut. Just as it was in the day of Noah, so shall it be in the coming. And so what happened in the days of Noah? There was an opportunity. The door was open. Anyone could come in. But Noah and his family were the only ones. Then the door was shut. You say, Brian, I don't believe you. I I think when he comes back, then I'll have an opportunity to give my heart to Jesus. I think you're wrong. What if I'm not? A vast majority, probably just about everybody here has the same feeling I do. Amen. Amen. I've, wait, I've, I've based 47 years of my life. I've lived and served the Lord. I've been saved 42 years. I've been in ministry since 1994. I've invested my entire life in this principle you better stay ready. And this whole message can be brought down to this one statement. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready.